It's a cool, windy September evening. The year is 2007 and the seasons are finally beginning to change for the better. No need to keep the air conditioning running 18 hours a day just to survive and you're living for it. Just a few more things could make this evening perfect. Some popcorn, a blanket, and your couch because you're about to snag your remote and turn into a world-class couch potato. You click the TV on and instantly begin to scroll mindlessly through all the so-called content that litters your screen. From ads to ads to even more ads and is that Grey's Anatomy? No, it's more ads. As I was saying, you scroll endlessly through the channels hoping for something worth your time. It's getting more and more difficult with each passing year, but you still see plenty of options until you remember that you aren't a normal couch dweller. As I said before, you're world-class. You open up your fancy cable guide and stop. Something catches your eye. Kid Nation? What the hell could that be? It won't be easy. Pioneer living is tough. And the amazing part is these pioneers are children. That's right. You read through the little blurb and learn that this show is all about children running and rebuilding their own little town with no adult intervention. That sounds interesting. And from CBS, no less. The masterminds behind How I Met Your Mother? Jericho? Uh... Other shows, I guess? Well, this has to be good, right? So let's give it a go. What's the worst that could happen? The show couldn't possibly turn out to be bad or even worse, have horrid production stories that make you realize the children on the show were mistreated and underpaid. Surely something of that magnitude couldn't happen. As we know, TV networks and Hollywood in general always have their actors' best interests in mind, especially their child actors. So this show is sure to be a winner. And if my sarcasm wasn't thick enough, I'll make sure to turn it up to 11 next time. But unfortunately, this seemingly dumb little reality show you decided to watch while entertaining enough as far as shows like these go has its fair share of controversy after its single season run. And when I say fair share, I mean fair like to the extent that word can be used in this particular context. From kids drinking bleach and burning themselves to abysmal pay and massive waivers that had parents allowing CBS the ability to do pretty wild things when it came to their kids. Let us delve into the story of two-time Emmy-nominated, not one, reality TV series, Kid Nation. Blue District, you are the upper class. Stop arguing, Stop arguing. Each district needs an average of 500 pounds of rice. I scrubbed toilets, I did laundry, and I hauled the big barrel of water, and I just got 10 cents, and I can't afford it anymore. And I think I'm gonna die out here because there's nothing. Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be discussing the bombshell reality show, Kid Nation the show that follows 40 kids who are tasked with running their own small town in rural New Mexico. Kid Nation was developed by Tom Foreman, the mind behind Extreme Makeover Home Edition, a show with its own litany of stories that honestly could warrant its own episode. But for today, we're gonna be focusing on this show. Kid Nation ran with the tagline, 40 kids, one town, no adults. It would see these children try to rebuild the abandoned town in Bonanza, New Mexico into a working town in an attempt to fix their forefathers' mistakes. I'm not sure what forefathers they could possibly be talking about, but I digress. It seems like a simple enough premise. Throw kids into a random cowboy town with no adults and let the powers of the universe take over. What sort of shenanigans will they get up to? Will this all fall apart or will these children prove to be the leaders the world needed most? Does this not sound like maybe the coolest thing ever as a kid? Like I would go crazy for something like this on premise. 
You get to run your own town, make your own rules, and there isn't a single adult around to tell you how to do it. I know for sure I would have been at least a little bit excited. A world where your parents aren't there to tell you what to do and how to do it, 24 seven freedom. This was apparent when Entertainment Weekly caught up with the kids to give them an interview and ask them a few questions I'm certain the general public was burning to get answers to. I was like, yes, kids finally get a voice, said Morgan, age 12, clearly excited about the prospect of this new adventure. Some of the kids had some very insightful answers to the simple question asked, why did you want to be a part of the show? Kelsey, age 10, stated that she was unappreciative to the technology at her house, and this would be a good way to learn to appreciate said tech. So it looked like at least a couple of the kids were roaring and ready to go. But what sorts of things were they truly going to be doing out there in the wild, wild west? Well, as the show's host, Jonathan Karsh says, these kids are going to be trying to build a town that works. Who better to do it than the new generation? Now, when he says build a town that works, how exactly are they planning on doing that? Was it the big idea? Well, it turns out the kids would be bussed a few miles down the road from the town itself and be told they have to pull wagons full of their supplies themselves. You know, like true little pioneers. We have to be immersive after all. Just before this pioneer challenge, they received the news that they actually have a group of leaders to help them on their way. Four kids chosen to be the town's council who are flown in via helicopter, which right away sets up a bit of a divide amongst our new pioneers. As the group gets ready to travel, the show's host informs the council they will be selecting one kid every town meeting to give a two pound golden star to. And I'm actually serious, it's two pounds of solid gold, which would equate to about $20,000 in 2007 money. After a bit of arguing and walking, our pioneers reached the town proper and began to get themselves acquainted with what would be their home for the next 40 days. Bare bones, abandoned buildings, and minimal supplies. Some kids find places to sleep while others begin to figure out the food situation. And amidst the chaos of their first few days, the council is then instructed to head over to the church and take a long look at the big rule book that's been left for them, which lays out how this little social experiment is going to run. So much for having full control. First, the four council members need to pick a color as well as some kids to use as lackeys. It's already time to split everyone into teams who will compete for a better job. And that's right. The kids now have actual assigned jobs with hourly pay rights. From lowly laborers to the upper class council and pay rates ranging from 10 cents an hour to a whole dollar per hour, generally to spend on a root beer at the saloon. Nothing like unwinding with a sugary mug of root beer at the end of a long day, right? By this point, the kids are starting to change their tune. You can see it simply in their faces that this isn't turning out like they had hoped at all. It was chaotic and much like a summer camp from hell, there wasn't much fun for anyone involved. I think it was best said at the start of the inaugural episode when everyone was being brought in on a big school bus. The youngest of the entire group, Jimmy, only had this to say, I think I'm gonna die out here because there's nothing. Now, while that for certain wasn't the case, Jimmy saw something other than death coming ahead that the others and the audience never would have guessed. We'll leave that as a bit of spooky foreshadowing, but for now, let's talk about the fact that these kids just weren't paid enough for this twisted experiment. I'm a laborer now. This morning I got up at six, I scrubbed toilets, I did laundry, and I hauled a big barrel of water, and I just got 10 cents and I can't afford a game of jacks. How are you guys doing? But the one thing that caught my eye was the old fashioned bicycle that was hanging up in the corner. The bicycle cost $3. I want that bike. Now, it doesn't help that each team gets assigned a job with pay from the lowly laborers earning 10 cents to the council who does nothing and yet gets paid a dollar. I'm not completely certain on how often those pay rates are given out, but still, it's not a great way to get kids to cooperate with one another, but it is a damn good way to reenact the French Revolution. I mean, the council is called the upper class for God's sake. You gotta remember that this show is indeed a competition. 
Naturally, they aren't actually just trying to make kids build their own actual society, so what's in it for them in the long run? As it turns out, actual gold. You know, the gold that the host told the council they'd be giving out. Every few days, the town must come together for a meeting to take stock and discuss how things have been going, which also includes choosing a kid who has done the best overall according to the council. Said participant was given a golden star trophy that was apparently made of solid gold and worth, at least at the time, $20,000. That's what the kids were truly competing for every three days, a lump of gold or hastily hand-scribbled check for 20 grand. I do have to wonder how much that star would actually be worth in 2022. If the price of gold in 2007 was $640 an ounce, then that $20,000 price tag matches up. Looking at the price today, it appears the star would actually be worth closer to $55,000. And that's not a bad chunk of change to deal with, you know, 39 other kids for like 40 days or so. That can make a lot of lemonade stands back home. So long as you were voted the best of the best by the council, that is. Now you may be wondering about those kids who don't earn a gold star trophy. After all, there are a lot of kids and only one is chosen to receive the grand prize at each town hall meeting. Well, as it turns out, all the kids were paid $5,000 for their troubles. In my investigation, I couldn't seem to find if this $5,000 payment was given to the kids weekly or more or all at once during production. So I can only assume it was a one-time deal at the start. Given how most coverage spoke about the pay situation, it's kind of sketchy to me that no specific information is out there. Now, yeah, $5,000 is a good chunk of change and more than a lot of people make in a month, but I'm fairly certain that these kids were contractors. I can't find anything to back that up with 100% assurance, so it is just my assumption here. If that is indeed the case, then remember to take at least 15% off for taxes. It also wouldn't surprise me to learn that even more money was being taken out for one reason or another, because you know, Hollywood accounting can be super fun. The kids were required to work some pretty long hours over the course of 40 days with little prizes here and there after competitions. You know, like seven more outhouses to use rather than the one they had to share or a TV. They could be working longer than 14 hours a day for the entire duration of the show or simply until they decided to leave. An article written by Maureen Ryan of the Chicago Tribune put it best in terms of breaking it down to what amounted to an hourly wage. By my calculation, many of the kids who participated in the show if they did work 14 hour days for 40 days, got less than $9 an hour. They go on to mention just how lucrative the reality TV genre would appear to be given these numbers. Some may think, hey, $9 an hour when you're a kid isn't too terrible, but it's just not about the pay alone. Imagine being paid that rate to work upwards of 14 hours a day for 40 days straight. Even worse, if you're one of the lonely laborers who had to do the grunt work in the show. The kicker for me is how CBS could get away with making children work and be available for such long hours. After all, kids are heavily restricted in how much they're actually allowed to work. And well, wouldn't you know it, they had a plan ready for that little hiccup because of course they did. You see, the child labor laws in New Mexico are quite clear stating that while a child of any age may work in TV, those hours are limited to eight hours on a non-school day and 40 hours on a non-school week. It's reported that our Kid Nation pioneers were required to work upwards of 14 hours per day with no breaks or days off. The New York Times investigated and found just how dodgy the whole situation truly was. It turns out CBS had claimed the kids weren't actually employees because they were not performing specific work for specific wages. They tried to use the excuse that this was a summer camp experience to get around any state labor issues. As it would turn out, a state rep did go to the ranch to check on the situation and make sure production had certain permits, but they were ultimately given the runaround and then the following day, not allowed onto the property at all. Nothing weird at all about the situation, especially considering it all started with an anonymous phone call about the activity on the set. 
Generally speaking, if someone on your crew anonymously calls state representatives to come down and check out your set because of any type of activity, that's a pretty bad look, especially when that set is for a show all about kids fending for themselves in the New Mexican desert. So yeah, no, no wrongdoing here, nothing to see at all. It's not totally weird that by the time the attorney's general office actually wrote to CBS, they had completely packed up and got the hell out of Dodge, or rather, the hell out of Bonanza. You may assume, like any normal person would, that the kids are protected under some kind of labor practices, right? Kids aren't and never have been treated well in Hollywood and TV, but at least these days, things are a little bit better. Surely they would be getting at least some better treatment when the cameras finally stop rolling for the day. But I wouldn't hold my breath on that one, considering the horrific waiver they had to sign that pretty much obliterated any protections they may have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. Pretty heavy, huh? Yeah. Well, it's worth its weight in gold. Literally, $20,000. When this is over, you and your parents can decide how to use the money for your future. Oh my God. You're joking, right? Not joking. And it's mine? It's yours, 20 grand. Of all the issues that have surfaced from the show, we haven't talked about, you know, what in my opinion is the craziest of them all. A lot of the ways CBS took advantage of the situation came from just one piece of documentation that was leaked to the public. It turns out parents had to read and sign a 22 page waiver absolving CBS and other affiliates of the show of pretty much any legal responsibility and obligation. It's like signing the iTunes agreement in South Park, but you won't be turned into a human sent iPad. Now, waivers are very normal for pretty much all kinds of productions. They really are quite common. But while they all share some commonalities, this one is a bit of a monster. I don't mean monster just when it comes to the staggering length and sheer amount of confusing legalese. I mean, the things the parents are agreeing to here are completely off the wall insane and any normal parent that takes more than a second glance at this would have definitely lit it on fire. Just as a first sample of what we can find inside, according to paragraph six of the agreement, If the child should be seriously harmed or killed during production or any transportation related to the production, they will not only release CBS from its obligations, but the producers as well. How in the world would a single paragraph not make you, as a parent, call it quits right there? Hell, the very next paragraph extends this by saying if the children die in accommodations chosen by producers, you know, like the bare bones cowboy buildings and saloons, you guessed it, they can't be found at fault. Well. Given the way this was written, it wouldn't surprise me if at least a few of the parents either didn't read it or read it fully or didn't understand a lot of what they were reading. Legalese is a powerful tool to confuse and annoy the layman. No average person can be realistically expected to 100% of the time understand some of this language. Look what's said in paragraph two for fuck's sake. The producers will have my full permission and consent to oversee and supervise the physical, emotional, and mental well-being of the minor and to make all decisions during and in connection with the production of the program on behalf of the minor, including without limitation, those decisions that may directly or indirectly affect the physical, emotional, or mental well-being of the minor. The fact that they say without limitation to having control of the emotional and mental well-being of the child, let alone 40 of them, is pretty insane to me. It should have been insane to the parents as well. And I may sound like a bit of a broken record here, but I think this is beyond unreasonable. Now, how about paragraph three, which states that the children will be separated and unable to contact their family. I mean, of course they're going to be separated, but no contact at all. If there isn't a law regarding this in entertainment, there sure as shit should be. 
And look at this little beauty, paragraph 23. If the minor is selected to be a participant in the show, the participant or child in question is not employed. This means they are not subject to any union or guild or, and I can't believe they had the balls to say this, do not adhere to any state or federal labor regulations. And are you actually kidding me? This must go back to the show's creator selling this experience as a summer camp, but this is wrong. I, I, I deeply believe this is wrong. This document clearly seems to give CBS and company far too much freedom from obligation. It reads like incredibly specific paragraph. And then the next one is vague as all hell. There's virtually no responsibility that has to be taken on behalf of the folks running the show when it comes to pretty much everything, but especially when it comes to safety. Now, what I'm not saying is that CBS and these producers would ever want to harm or, you know, come into any of these participants' lives and, you know, do something permanent and emotionally or emotionally or physically scarring. But you have to admit just how crazy the gymnastics to break free of responsibility are. It was reported that a few of the children accidentally drank bleach that was left in an unmarked soda bottle. Another child was burned by hot grease while working in the town's kitchen. The child's mother alleged that there was no supervision in the kitchen. And again, I don't think any harm was intentional, but like, really, we didn't think that one through? Young children in a kitchen and hot grease, like bleach in an unmarked soda bottle, we didn't think this through at all? Now, the real kicker for me is that Tom Foreman, the show's creator, had apparently chosen the Bonanza Creek set because it offered a unique setting and totally had nothing to do with New Mexico's non-existent child labor laws regarding TV and film production. So how, at the end of the day, did this affect the children? You know, the ones who have been on the shitty side of all of this, the ones the show is named for. Well, it's easy to get caught up in the goings on and I nearly overlooked the people that really matter in this scenario. So the question here is, where are they now and how are they doing after all this time? And before we dig into that to see how exactly are they doing, I'm gonna take a quick moment to thank today's sponsors. Hello, I am a sponsor of today's episode. Well, actually the merch shop is. I don't really talk about my merch shop, multilevelmerch.shop all too often, but I do wanna let you know that I'm gonna be kind of reorganizing the shop, bringing in new items, taking out old items, you know, essentially just cleaning house right before the holiday season. So if you'd like to go to the merch shop and check anything out, use the code DARKDIVES for 20% off your entire order. This little sale ends Saturday, and then I'm gonna kind of close the shop down temporarily a little bit after that date. So make sure to check it out. Today's episode is also sponsored by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. I love me some online shopping. Recently, I decided to go through my closet and go through a bit of spring cleaning, but in the fall because I'm a fall girly and fall and winter fashion is my thing. So for me, that's the season that I wanna clean up, go through all my clothing, make sure everything fits and what doesn't fit, I wanna donate it. So after all of that's done, it's time to do some shopping and preferably online shopping. And thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. And that's because Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. Recently, I was shopping for some new clothes. Very specifically, I was shopping for a new pair of fall boots, which I found these crazy ones from like Jessica Simpson. I have not bought anything from her in forever, but she's got these cute like, army green platform boots and I'm already like five nine and they're like four and a half inches tall, but I don't care, I want them anyway, so I did. And as I was checking out, Honey found me a 15% coupon code. So thank you so much, Honey. I really do appreciate that because those were an expensive pair of shoes and I was definitely a little bit freaked out about the price, but thank you. And Honey doesn't just work on your desktop either. It works on your iPhone too. 
You just activate it on Safari on your phone and you can save on the go. So if you don't already have Honey, you could just be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting the show. And I'd never recommend something that I don't use. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash casket. Again, that's joinhoney.com slash casket. Very hands off. Okay. So has this like followed you? Did did, did your schoolmates find out about this and stuff? Oh yeah. Um, Yeah, I feel I was the only kid from New Hampshire on it. So like it was talk of the town. Right. Yeah, it aired in my fourth grade. Everyone was like fine with it. And then I think as we got older and we got into that, this is going to be great for ratings. (laughs) Can you keep the waterworks coming? I was like, whatever it takes. Honestly, what? What? So in the end, was Jimmy right after all? Was he truly seeing something on the horizon that no other kid in the group could see? Well, let's find out if he made the right call in leaving in the very first episode. We've heard all kinds of nastiness from all sides, but not too much in the way of scathing reviews by the cast themselves. I imagine they'd have more to say on the matter than anyone else. My findings continue to turn up all kinds of interviews after the fact, from John Tron's infamous interview of Jimmy, all the way to a Reddit AMA from one of the oldest kids that participated in the show named Michael. Now, I'm not sure if these guys are repressing what happened or you know what exactly, but a lot of the children actually speak quite candidly about their time on the show like Jimmy, who smiles and laughs during his entire description of kids drinking bleach because they didn't know how to clean dishes and that how he'd wake up in the middle of the night and see 20 kids lined up at the outhouse. Hell, one of the original council members, Laurel McGough, told the AV club, it was the ultimate best experience of my life. And I don't know about you, but those aren't the words I thought I'd be hearing from any of these kids at all. Michael, who was among the oldest on the show, recounted plenty of wacky situations via a Reddit AMA from nearly nine years ago. He has all kinds of exciting stories to tell from production, like the children having no clue where they were going when being loaded onto the school bus to only be dropped off in the desert, all the way to confirming that indeed none of the dialogue was scripted. He even went as far as to say, we had our shit together, which from the way the show portrayed them really makes it hard to believe sometimes. He did mention that the massive camera crew was also actually quite nice and treated all the kids well, even sneaking them extra food from time to time. As Michael put it, I bummed food off the camera crew. I loved those guys. When it comes to criticisms though, the kids are more than able to look back on the show with actual surprise. As it turns out, you really can make a story out of anything if you have enough footage. At least a few of the kids felt afterwards that they were typecast to fit a necessary role that allowed CBS to really make any type of story they wanted by jumbling footage together to invent storylines that just didn't exist. Another one of the original council members, Anjay, stated that he felt there was an element of, oh, look at the brown nerd, despite him being cast because he was the youngest person to compete in the national spelling bee. He also mentioned that there was never any abuse on the set, saying, quote, we weren't abused, we weren't hurt in any way, but it was definitely a lot more exploitative than I remember it being back then. The thing is, we weren't fully formed people, we were kids. Another participant, Olivia Cloer, said of the show that she was surprised she was painted as somewhat of a bully by CBS since she herself in real life had often been bullied before. It feels like the kids themselves have reached a point in their lives where they can look back on the experience objectively, knowing that while it may have been exploitative, they were also able to recognize that they weren't really just out there alone. We all need to remember that reality TV, no matter how real its build is being, is still going to be at least 90% fabrication through editing or other means. Now, the kids went on to live seemingly normal lives that don't appear to be any worse off. Take Anjay, who now works for Microsoft in Seattle. Now, I'm not trying to make it seem like I approve of the idea or the execution of the show in any way. The waivers alone are enough to make my skin crawl. 
I just feel it's necessary to point out that nowadays the kids are doing all right. The kids, they're doing all right. But with all of that being said, that is where I'm going to end today's episode. I hope you didn't really maybe enjoy it, but I do hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. If you wanna connect with me outside of these, make sure to click on my Linktree link in the description box. It's gonna have a link to all of my social media and projects that I'm currently involved in. Thank you so much again for tuning in. I appreciate it and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.